Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. A lot of things that I want to talk about that went on around the world of Hollywood. I'm going to be getting into some breaking news in terms of Obi-Wan Kenobi, one of the latest Disney Plus Star Wars shows that are in development. The cast was announced, so I'm going to be breaking down the entire cast list and when the television show will be getting into production. Black Adam officially has a release date. I'm also going to be getting into the monstrous weekend Godzilla vs. Kong had internationally. But the first thing that I do want to talk about today is, of course, my spoiler review for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Again, it's going to be a complete spoiler review. On Friday, I did my non-spoiler review, so if you have not watched the episode yet... You can go back and check that one out, and when you have watched the episode, you can come back and watch this one. And as I do usually with all the shows that I usually talk about that are very high profile, I did it with Mandalorian Season 2, I did it with WandaVision, I've done it with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I will have in the description link of this episode, the the yeah, the description link, I will have the, the time on the podcast of when I'm talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So if you want to skip over this segment and then move on to the next segments that I talk about, then you can certainly do so. And then when you come back and when you've watched the Falcon and Winter Soldier, the latest episode, you can come back to this episode. You can look at the description of when I am talking about it in the runtime, and then you can listen to it and we can kind of talk about it and you can leave some comments on what you thought about the episode. Complete spoilers in this episode. You can So you can send down any kind of details you want in this episode in the comments section. I like to wait about the weekend or so, initially the first weekend, so people can watch it in the first few days that it's out and it's fresh in people's minds, so then we can talk about it the Monday after it comes out. So that's what we're going to do right now. So again, full spoilers for episode two of The Falcon and Winter Soldier starts right now. So here we go. Episode two is titled, titled, excuse me, The Star-Spangled Man. And again, like I was saying in my non-spoiler review, I think this episode is absolutely a vast improvement over the first episode, which is not surprising because, again, when we talk about traditional television in today's day and age, really the first episode in a season that's continuous is that the, the, the premiere episode builds up what the show is going to be about, what that particular season storyline is going to be, and that's exactly what the first episode of The Falcon and Winter Soldier did, establishing the characters, the, the, the story, Bucky, Sam, where are they? Establishing the characters and establishing the, the action and, and, and what we're going to get in terms of a feeling and the themes, the initial themes that we're going to be getting in this show, and that's exactly what the premiere episode did, and this episode, episode two, laid down the foundations along with building on those foundations of what we're going to see throughout this entire season in the final four episodes that we're going to get. And the premiere episode left with that cliffhanger of introducing a brand new Captain America. And right off the bat in this episode, we get introduced to who this Captain, this new Captain America is, who is taking up the mantle of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we learn that it is 
John Walker, who in the comic books is the actual person who takes up the mantle of Captain America and becomes U.S. agent. And this character is played by Wyatt Russell, who is actually the son of Kurt Russell, who was also in the MCU, taking on the role of Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And Wyatt Russell, again, I talked about it in my non-spoiler review last week. He's been in a, a few things throughout his career. The one that I think personally that he's most notable for is being a supporting character in 22 Drum, uh, Jump Street Excuse me, in 2014. He's done a few things here and there but of course this is his most high profile project to date and really becoming a main factor in the show and we learn about it really in this episode and right off the bat in the cold opening we really spend three to four minutes learning who John Walker is and really kind of what he's about we don't do a flashback episode but they lay down the the core details that we need to know that he was a football player which means he's very athletic he's somebody who's physically up to the challenge of being Captain America. And then we kind of get into the, the psyche of John Walker a little bit in the sense that when, when when we see him initially, we're always kind of saying, now of course we're saying, this guy isn't my Captain America. This guy is a fraud. He shouldn't be doing this. Why is he Captain America? He's, he, he, he's probably going to be a fool and a tool and it should be Sam. They robbed it of him. And I think this episode initially and really kind of throughout does a really good job of, I think, getting people to doubt maybe a little bit that maybe this guy is a good person. And we're introduced to John Walker in the sense that he's just trying to do his job. And it's not just about the the spotlight or really about the fame that comes with being Captain America. Really, initially, he's trying to or wants to live up to this icon, this legacy of Steve Rogers, of Captain America. And he talks about how and when Steve was resurrected and as he was working with the Avengers throughout the MCU, that he would watch a lot of his 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 moves and his tactical motivations when he was in West Point. So this is somebody who knows Steve on that kind of level, not personally. And that's where we kind of transition into talking about with Bucky and Steve. And Bucky is somebody who's watching an interview take place with John Walker. And when U.S. agent is saying basically that Steve uh, – was somebody that I looked up to like a brother, they cut right away to Bucky watching this. And then you, of course, get that disdain, not just from what what Sebastian Stan portrays vocally through dialogue, but just through his uh, facial expressions, just with disgust and pain and sadness and anger. It's all just kind of working in that little shot that we get in the, the cold open. And I think with with something in this nature with John Walker, we, we really kind of get somebody who, again, just wants to try to carry the mantle the best way he can. And he just wants to get on with the missions. He doesn't care about the interviews, the fame, going on a major morning show like Good Morning America that kind of cameos in this episode. It's really about getting the job done, going on the missions and trying to live up to this mantle and protecting the United States. And, and so I think initially when we are introduced to John Walker, I think it, it takes some people by storm a little bit. And so I think that is a little a little exciting and really interesting to really kind of see 
how that all plays out. And then, of course, we get the a lot of chemistry between Bucky and Sam. And as we transition out of John Walker, right away we get what I think a lot of people were hoping for in that premiere episode. Uh, a lot of people were hoping to get a lot of interactions between Bucky and Sam. And right away in this episode, we get that chemistry. We get that camaraderie between these two guys. And it's hostile, obviously, at first. And that always happens with buddy cop kind of movies or TV shows. A lot of these guys are hostile at first. And that's the thing that happens between Bucky and Sam. Bucky's not happy that Sam gave up the shield. And, and Sam doesn't want to hear that from Bucky. And you just kind of get that friction right away. And I think that's a great catalyst for the continued relationship between Bucky and Sam and how we're going to see that evolve throughout the rest of the show. And then they go on this mission together. And again, we continue to see that banter back and forth between Bucky and Sam happen. And it just works really, really well with one another. And we kind of get to see that awesome plane sequence that you see that banter kind of happen with. And then, of course, we we touch down and Sam is following up on the threat of the Flak Smashers, which who we were introduced in the premiere episode about two weeks ago now. So we get to learn more, a little bit more about the Flag Smashers and we get that awesome interaction on the truck. And just to kind of go back a little bit between the chemistry between Bucky and Sam, we get more of that banter between the two of them where they're they're throwing quibs at one another they're, they're throwing insults funny insults at one another where where sam is calling bucky white panther and, and he corrects and bucky corrects him saying he's the white wolf and and how bucky has a disdain for red wayne always kind of pestering around him like a like a fly all that kind of stuff is really funny and i think for people that wanted that stuff initially in the first episode I think they were redeemed in the fact that right away we start out with getting that banter and chemistry right away. And then, of course, we go into the very much marketed truck truck sequence where Bucky and, and Sam take on these flag smashers. And, and the action sequence there is great to see. This is the first action sequence that Bucky is a part of in this show after we got the aerial fight sequence with Batroc in the premiere. So to kind of see both ground and aerial assaults happen at the same time was really cool. And then, of course, a big surprise in this this sequence, this set piece, is John Walker coming in and helping Bucky and Sam. And, and again, right away, we get this kind of, of friction happening, not just within Bucky and Sam, but, of course, the relationship that Sam and Bucky have with Steve, seeing somebody else take up that shield that's not one of them, causes a lot of friction to really kind of happen and then after the fight sequence we really kind of see that play out with, with this with this quiet one where Bucky and Sam are picked up by John and and Battlestar who is a, a friend of John Walker's that were introduced in the beginning of the episode when John Walker is doing that interview on his on the football field so we kind of get to see the, another side, a government side of Bucky and Sam kind of right against each other, a parallel, which is really kind of cool to see. And John Walker's really, again, trying to appease to Sam and Bucky. And I think also, if you want to kind of think of it as a third POV, is also trying to appeal to the audience in a way as well, where he's saying, look, I'm trying to live up to this name. I understand that this is awkward, but I'm not in it for the fame. I'm not in it for the fortune. I'm not in it for all this high profile stuff. I want to try to live up to, to Steve's legacy. And of course, for, for Bucky especially, again, seeing somebody take up his best friend's mantle, who 
who, again, has a legacy that is just unfurbished and wasn't given to him, it frustrates him. And for Sam, again, he he has more of a friction, but it's more of like internally, whereas Bucky is expressing that externally. Sam inside, I think, is, is beating himself up over that. We're just not seeing it yet. And I'm sure we will that will continue to peel back more and more as we get to the next couple of episodes. But I thought that scene was really, really good. And and then, of course, the everything that kind of happens afterward, Sam and Bucky are kind of talking about the Flag Smashers, how they have these super soldier abilities where they're really strong, they're really fast, kind of akin to what Steve experienced as well and what the, 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 the soldiers in the Civil War in Siberia kind of were doing as well. So... There are a lot of questions about that, and Bucky has an idea for where they can go for answers, and that leads us to the introduction of another iconic character in the comics, and that, of course, is Isaiah Walker, who in the comic books is the first black Captain America before, in the comics, Sam Wilson takes up that mantle. And in this instance, I think, again, in terms of all the of all the themes, of all the emotional complexities that the show is trying to bring, Isaiah Walker fits in perfectly in this situation. And the one scene that he's in, at least initially, is just absolutely incredible because we, in just dialogue, we learn about this history that we had no idea existed within the, the MCU, within Captain America, that we really get to see in the limelight for the first time. In that basically it seems like after Steve Rogers went under ice, the government, the United States government, continued to experiment with the super soldier serum. Because remember, they took all that blood from Steve. So they were able to maybe replicate a lot of the serum that Stanley Tucci's character from the first Avenger, Dr. Erskine, was able to work on. And of course, in the MCU, Dr. Banner was looking to evolve the super soldier serum by applying gamma radiation. Of course, that led to him becoming the Hulk. And of course, the abomination was made out of that whole sequence with the Incredible Hulk. So there's a lot of history behind the super soldier serum. And and now we're learning about how that translated to more Captain Americas. And Isaiah Walker, it seems like, was that second Captain America after Steve in World War II. And it's talked about that Bucky and Isaiah have a relationship where in the 1950s during the Korean War, the United States government sent Isaiah to take out the Winter Soldier who was working on something. And it seemed like Isaiah really took it to Bucky in that time period, even took a chunk out of his arm. And because he didn't capture or kill the Winter Soldier, it seems like the United States government retaliated and imprisoned Isaiah Walker after his time. And basically, they scrapped, it seems like, any acknowledgement that there was a not just a second Captain America, but of course, continuing the themes that were established in that first episode and what we're seeing kind of the undertone of the show that speaks to things that we are learning and going through as America right now is, of course, the scrapping of that there was, again, not just a second Captain America, but a black Captain America. And again, goes to the the character arc of Sam Wilson, who I think in the the, the first episode and this episode, again, is, is really kind of trying to explain the fact that he doesn't think that as a black man, he, he should take this on, that it doesn't belong to him. And I think that identity crisis that Sam is having with this applies to what Isaiah Walker went through as a Captain America. And of course, this kind of blows up in the face a little bit where Isaiah doesn't want to see them. He's angry. You see him throw stuff at the wall and you see that strength. And we're introduced to Isaiah Walker's son or grandson, Eli, who in the comics 
could become the Patriot, who is a super soldier a little bit and also is attributed to the to the Young Avengers. And again, when you look at a lot of these Disney Plus shows and some of the movies in the next few years, it seems like maybe down the line we could get a Young Avengers film in the making with some of the characters that are being established right now. And, and if it is Eli Walker that we see in that scene as well, that could just be another piece of the puzzle that could lead to that in the future. But then again, this this blows up kind of a little bit in their face, and Sam is angry at Bucky that, that he knew about this, and he asks if Steve knew about this, which Bucky translates that he didn't know about it, and he kept it from him. And so, again, this, this goes to the fact of of being in the dark about things and that there's this dark history in America and politics and, and in the military and that is being translated over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now and the the shining beacon that is not just Steve Rogers but just Captain America in general is darkened a little bit and, and, and there's a darkness to that history that the United States government might have a hand in and it's not just that Captain America was away for 70 years and that was the, the last time that we had a super soldier there are times in between that there could be multiple Captain Americas. And, of course, we got that example with Isaiah Walker. So I'm excited to see more of that hopefully play out in the next few episodes. And then, again, the scene right after that where Sam and Bucky are arguing, again, we get more of that those social commentary undertones that we aren't getting beaten over the head with. But whenever they come up, they come up in the right times. And this is the right time where they're in Baltimore, Maryland, and the cops come in. And it's two white cops, and they see Sam a black man arguing with a white man and they get very aggressive with, with one another the cops with Sam and then with one of the cops Bucky saying do you know who this person is and they don't recognize Sam's the Falcon and then after a little bit one of the cops recognizes him and then everything's kind of cool and playful and that that scene directs back to the premiere episode when the bank guy wouldn't give Sam and his sister the loan and even though that he wouldn't give him the loan he still loved Sam because he's the Falcon he's a part of the Avengers it's the it's the limelight and what if he was just a normal black man would he still be getting that that love and still getting denied at the same time and that's exactly the scene that translates here as well picking up with that where the the cops are hostile towards Sam at first because they just think he's another black man that's that's yelling at, at a white guy but then they realize who he is and then everything's kumbaya and then kind of in a twist a little bit they actually arrest Bucky because Bucky is somebody who is is missing out on a court date and there's an APB out of him so they actually arrest him but it kind of goes to that degree of if he wasn't the Falcon if he wasn't that well known would have that still went the same way so all these questions again little social undertones that that again don't beat you over the head with it but something that does come up and is something that is relevant and is ballsy for what the MCU and, and Disney hasn't really done with some of their franchises so far especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I think with the evolution over the last few years with going with the Black Panther with going with Captain Marvel and having more diverse cast and having more diverse members behind the scenes on these shows and on these films we're seeing Marvel take a lot more risks in involving these creators and having them able to tell these kind of messages and stories I think is really great to see so I hope we get more of that in the next few episodes 
as well. And then after that, we get a really another really good scene where Bucky's arrested, but then he's a re- released because of his therapist, who also has a link with John Walker. And again, John Walker is really trying to appease to Bucky and Sam to to see that they're on the same side. They're not trying to work against one another. And then there's this other therapy scene, like the first episode, even though that's just with Bucky, we get to really kind of know more of the things that are eating away, specifically at Bucky, because Bucky opens up to Sam in a way that Sam, again, so far has not done just yet. And Bucky is, 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 again, chastising Sam in a way that's saying like, look, it wasn't yours to give away. He, Steve, chose you to be that symbol. And if Steve was wrong about choosing you and who and who he thought you were, then this is the powerful line. If he didn't think that, if he thought, if, if he was wrong with you thinking who you were, then he was wrong about me. And again, when he says, if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. That's powerful because Buggy's basically saying that Steve he was wrong about trusting you and, and knowing who you are, then he had to be wrong about knowing who I was and what I stood up for. Because for many, many years, and again, we're seeing it throughout the this the show so far with the introduction of Isaiah, with the, the list that Bucky is crossing off and making amends, and this goes to the Lincoln Civil War, where even though Bucky was brainwashed, he still remembers everything that went on over all those decades. So Bucky realizes all the repentments that he needs to make throughout his life and all the all the bad deeds that he did. And Steve still saw something in him. He saw the goodness in him. He saw the, the, the best friend that he grew up with before World War II, before he he went over that train in in, in the in the 1940s. So if Steve was wrong about Sam and knowing what kind of a good man he is, his values and sticking by him, then what does that say about Steve's loyalty to Bucky? Was he wrong in, in risking his life and risking his freedom as Steve did in Civil War to protect protect Bucky, to defend Bucky. If he was wrong about Sam, then he, then Steve was wrong about ever trusting Bucky and realizing the good person that he could be. So I thought in just that line, there was so much to unpack in terms of Bucky's character. And again, you start to see appeal a little bit of what Sam's trying to do, where he says, look, you, like you and Steve don't know what it would mean for me to take on that mantle. And so again, it goes to, I think, more of those tones of, again, being a black person and being somebody who maybe a lot a lot of people might not be accepting of him as Captain America, that's weighing on Sam. And again, even though it's not emotionally vulnerable as Bucky is right now, I think we will see Sam become more layered back in the next few episodes as we continue throughout this series. So I'm really, really excited about that. And then, of course, we, we get kind of the ending. Before we get the final ending tag, we get the, the ending of John Walker releasing Bucky, and we see a little bit more of that friction come about, but this time it's not from Bucky and Sam. It's also from John Walker, where he's basically, I think, really had enough of trying to appease to these two guys. And he basically says, look, if we can't work with one another, then listen, I have a job to do. So if we cross paths again and it's not in the same wavelength, then you just stay the hell out of my way and let me do what I got to do. So again, even though John Walker was trying to appease to these two guys and I think appease to the audience, I think he's fed up with that. And he's like, look, I'm here to do what I got to do. It doesn't matter if if you like me or not. There's something that I got to do. So I think we're going to see more of that friction play out a little bit. And for people that I think, again, what they did so well was 
have people begin to doubt their hatred for John Walker because, again, it's not the guy we want to see take on the mantle of Captain America, but maybe we were softened a little bit by it. But I think by the end of this episode, some of it, some of that, that friction strengthens back up again, and now it's reciprocated by both sides. And, and I think that's going to be another interesting aspect to explore by the end of this. And then we get a little bit more of the Flag Smashers, kind of what they're about. And even though we got a description of it last episode, we really kind of get to see it play out where, again, they're more about being insurgents and they have a lot of people that are looking to work for them and they want to turn the world back to what it was during those five years when when Thanos' ideology was taking place of half the world being wiped out. And even though it's 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 genocide and the fact that people and and, and people are dying all across the universe, that half of 50 people left will prosper in the end. And I think these people realize that, look, we were prospering during this timeline. And some people call them Thanos, Thanos zealots, basically. And the fact that even though they maybe didn't know Thanos, they agree with those ideas that we were living prosperous lives, that the that, that this world was prospering during that time period. And so again, kind of exploring more of that post-snap world. Again, not exploring that five-year timeline, but showcasing what people were going through who were still around during that timeline, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that all plays out. And then, of course, the the final scene that we get is Steve and Sam, or not Steve and Sam, but Steve and, not Steve, Steve's not in this, of course, but Sam and Bucky figuring out what their next plan is. And the fact that, look, Isaiah said that my people went after him. And when we went back to Isaiah real quick, when Isaiah said your people referring to to Bucky, Sam thought he was referring about white people, but Sam, but Bucky corrects him at the end of the episode saying, no, 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 he didn't mean that. He meant Hydra, that, that Hydra was going after him. And there's only one person that I know of that, that many people might know of that really contains Hydra's deep, dark secrets that even Bucky might not know about. And that, of course, is Zemo played by Daniel Brule. And finally, it seems like we're going to be introduced to Hamlet Zemo at the next episode. We got a little, little taste of him. The very last scene, the very last shot that we get is a, a close-up of Zemo's face, and then we cut to black to the end credit. So it seems like next episode, we're really going to see Zemo back at it once again in, in history, especially between him and Bucky, and he and Sam is going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. So Again, I thought this was a really, really good episode, a great episode, honestly, if I'm being honest with myself. I think in two episodes that we've gotten, this is a vast improvement over the premiere episode, as it should have been, especially in the fact that if you are taking the premiere episode to establish your world, to establish your characters, your story, where everyone's at, the themes that we're going to get, I think you need the second episode to build off of that. And that's exactly what happened here with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm really liking it. And I can't wait to see what we get this Friday with episode three of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So that will do it for my spoiler review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode two. What did you guys think about it? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? What were your favorite parts about it? Were you surprised by anything? Specifically, getting that introduction to Isaiah Walker, finding out that we're going to be seeing Zemo next episode, finally, that we haven't gotten Sharon Carter yet, even though we did get a name drop from of her by Sam when Bucky and, and Sam were going to meet up with Isaiah Walker when they were in the cargo plane and basically 
Sam explained that, look, after Sharon got the, the, the Falcon suit and the shield for Steve in Civil War, she was basically on the run. So we got a little bit of a, of a drop, but are we going to see her next episode or are we going to see her in episode four? I hope we don't have to wait too long because, again, I, I really was hoping to see a lot of Sharon Carter in this show because, again, I feel like when she was casted and when Marvel wanted to use her in, in The Winter Soldier and Civil War, I thought she was going to have a really big part to play. And so far, it, that just hasn't happened in the two movies that she has showed up in. So I'm hoping like they want to do with Zemo and, and what they're doing with Sam and Bucky and layering these characters. I hope they continue to do that with Sharon Carter. And they do that with Sharon Carter in these next few episodes before we get to the finale in the end of April. But again, overall, what did you guys think about it? Did you enjoy it? Which characters are you looking forward to with Sharon Carter or Zemo? Or is there somebody else that you're looking forward to? Let me know what you think in the comment section below and leave your thoughts. I'd love to know what you guys think. So again, that will do it for my spoiler review right now. That is it. So again, if you want to come back, you can come back and I hope you guys are back right now. Again, I will be putting in the description link below of the time between the Falcon and the Runner Soldier spoiler review when I begin it and when I end it, and I've ended it right now. So we're going to move on to a lot of movie news that came out over the last few days. I'm going to start out with some very much needed box office news that happened this weekend. And over the next few days, there is a massive blockbuster that is coming out for people to see one of the first big blockbusters for both theaters and HBO, for theaters really, since maybe Wonder Woman 1984 around. Christmas time, and that is, of course, Godzilla versus Kong, which is the big team, or not really team, but the big matchup that people have been looking forward to for many years since it was announced in like 2015, 2016, that we would get these two titans, the two top titans clashing, excuse me, with one another in the king of monsters and the king of Skong, of, of Skull Island, excuse me. And a lot of people are wondering if this is, of course, the best time to do it. And, of course, Godzilla vs. Kong is a part of the hybrid release that that Warner Brothers and Warner Media is doing with all of their 2021 films this year. And Godzilla vs. Kong is truly, really the first big big blockbuster this year for the for Warner Media to test this out in. And uh, again, some of the some of the major movie markets are up and running. China's up right now. Europe is still struggling a little bit. The United States, at least 90% of AMC theaters are open up, and a lot of the major markets like New York and Los Angeles are open up right now. So there's a lot to look forward to. And it seems like right now that at least internationally, Godzilla vs. Kong is going to turn out to be a smash hit in the best, best accumulation in a foreign film in the pandemic era so far. So Godzilla vs. Kong probably had the best weekend since the really since the pandemic ever hit and since maybe the invisible man came out in february of 2020 so it's been a really really long time since we've gotten great news like this and just to kind of go over a lot of the details at least internationally overall not and this excludes domestic because so in the united states it has not come out yet it will come out on Wednesday, which I will give a weekend preview of Godzilla vs. Kong tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that on tomorrow's show. But 
going back to the box office, internationally, it has accumulated $121 million over the weekend. It grossed $70 million in China, and that is the biggest opening for a foreign title since 2019. It topped Tenet's $30 million in the Middle Kingdom when it opened last year at the end of August. So this is a huge, huge deal for not just China, but again, the world, specifically when it comes to big blockbusters that are foreign, not made domestically in the Middle Kingdom. So this is a, a big, big win for the studio in that right. And this is also a big win for IMAX theaters, as it seems like for people that want to go out to theaters safely, they are doing it, getting the biggest bang they can for their buck and going to the biggest screen possible to watch this film. Because even though they, they do advertise watching HBO Max, you just get that feeling of when you see the advertisements for Godzilla vs. Kong watching it on the biggest screen possible. And it seems like IMAX theaters are really getting a boost like that. And it's the biggest boost they've gotten since December of 2019, most likely when Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker came out, in which IMAX theaters generated $12.4 million in ticket sales. And again, that, that's a personal best for them since the end of 2019. And then, of course, this just bodes potentially really well for what people are going to do here in the United States. And just over this past weekend alone, the leading market here domestically was Los Angeles with $1.1 million. So again, I don't suspect maybe Godzilla versus Kong to make $70 million this weekend, which I think would be a big win for them personally in the pandemic era. With Godzilla versus Kong, I think if this was a normal time, I think there would be projections way past $100 million for a Titan matchup like the one that's advertised in just the poster alone and just the namesake. So again, I think $70 million would be a really good start for this film. And again, $121 million internationally just I think provides a lot of hope in the fact that if you do get a film, especially during the pandemic right now, that people really want to see in theaters that are made for theaters like Godzilla versus Kong or maybe something like A Black Widow or uh, The Suicide Squad or maybe even something like Dune. If you have that big IP that has a name brand, I think you'll get people to really clamor and invest in it. So I think this is a great win for blockbusters this weekend. I think this is a great win for the future of the cinematic experience. And again, all eyes are going to be on the box office this weekend when you do include the domestic market. Uh, again, you have a lot of the big theaters and a lot of the big markets open in the United States. So how is that really going to cause and affect the, the, the theatrical window right now and what that means going forward? Because this is truly the first big test of the new year. The Godzilla vs. Kong is really the first true blockbuster of 2021. The next one's going to be Mortal Kombat. And then after Mortal Kombat in the middle of April, we're not really going to get a major blockbuster again until some people want to put Cruella and A Quiet Place Part 2 down to start the summer movie season. Or you could count maybe In the Heights and Fast 9 in June. So it's going to be a little bit before we get another blockbuster. So right now, it's going to be interesting to see what audiences' reactions are to a film like this. Are you going to watch it at home? Are you going to watch it in theaters? You could definitely do both. So it's going to be interesting to see what the first weekend or two is going to look like once it hits theaters and HBO Max here 
in the United States on March 31st on Wednesday. So a lot of interesting stuff to investigate, a lot of interesting stuff to look forward to. And I will have it all for you here, of course, on the Sam Bissell podcast here on the Ambiguous Podcast Solution. So what do you guys think about Godzilla versus Kong having a major weekend in the international market, specifically doing very well in China, but also doing very well in about 39 markets that it was released in this past weekend? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And then heading on over to another company in Warner Media, and that, of course, is DC. And last night, Dwayne Johnson came out and really kind of took over the world for at least 15 to 20 seconds in announcing finally the brand new release date for his DC film, Black Adam. And it was announced that it will be hitting the summer of 2022, specifically July 29th. And this is going to be a, this this is huge. And, And we finally got a release date because initially it was going to come out in December of this year in 2021, but because of COVID, it was supposed to be in production last year, but because of, again, the the pandemic and and shutting down productions for at least a few months in the very height of the pandemic, and a lot of shoots not beginning until September, The Rock still had a few things, uh, one big thing to really shoot towards the end of 2020 with Red Notice going to Netflix, the Black Adam had to push back by a few months to a year, really, in terms of production. So they're gearing up, ready for production in the next few weeks. It was announced that the principal photography will begin in April. So we finally have a release date to go along with it. And the summer of 2022, July 29th to be specific, is when, according to Dwayne Johnson, the hierarchy of the DC universe is going to change forever. The power of the hierarchy of the DC universe is going to change forever. So again, there's a lot to look forward to. And the way that Dwayne Johnson did it, the way that The Rock did it is just in perfect rock fashion, where he loves the pizzazz, he loves that the, the global attention that he can provide. And it really, as much as he possibly can flex, because he's got the muscles to do it, was a major, major flex in the power that Dwayne Johnson has when trying to market something big for him. And I think this is one of the biggest marketing marketing kickoffs really I've really ever seen when it comes to any kind of film. And along with taking over the NCAA tournament, specifically the pre-show, the pre-game show of UCLA and Alabama for the NCAA tournament, also... The Rock took over Times Square, specifically the digital billboards. And there's a there's an Instagram video that you can check out where basically in, in synchronous fashion, all the billboards synced up at the same time and played this, this video and the audio of Dwayne Johnson all over Times Square announcing that the hierarchy of the DC universe is about to change forever. And... I've never seen anything like that before. It was like somebody commanding over the universe. It's like one of those things where you see like a villain taking over the airwaves and you see those airwaves on the billboards and it's like someone giving their master plan or something. It was kind of like that where I never really saw that happen before. And it was on all the billboards, both big and small around Times Square. And it was really, really cool to see. And I think, again, it gives, you got to give your hats off to the marketer, the promoter and the, the, the promoters over at his company like seven bucks production that do that kind of stuff and the marksman 
that they really all are. So that to me was really, really cool to, to, to see. And again, we'll see if that kind of translates to what else they do when they're all done with, with photography and they're getting ready for their final marketing push. What else do they kind of think outside the box with? And hopefully this is an indication of what could happen next year and even towards the tail end of this year when promotion and marketing will probably start to rev up once they have footage and they deliver the first teaser, the first trailer, and then after the first trailer or two, the final marketing push will begin with the spots and and press junkets. So I'm really excited to see what The Rock and his crew have in store with this film. But the, another big thing when it comes to to questions is, of course, how is this film going to fare on July 29, 2022? Because I think, again, this is for Black Adam. This is a great spot for it. I was very always very curious of having this play over Christmas, even though Aquaman did really well. I mean, incredibly well. The fact that, of course, a billion dollars showcases that. But for Black Adam, Adam, I, I just, I don't know. I, to, to me, that didn't really fit. And But again, Aquaman, to me, wouldn't have fit around Christmas. That would have been a summer movie for me as well. But again, gross a billion dollars. And films have showcased. It doesn't really matter where you place your films for the most part. People will go to them whenever it's coming out. So I think that'll be the same with Black Adam as well. But I think, again, it fits really, really well with, with, the, with the Rock. And he just owns the summer season whenever he really does the, a movie. I think, again, he would have done that with Jungle Cruise last year even this year if it still comes out on July 30th or even in 2019 when he had Hobbs and Shaw come out in early August he really owned about like a week or two of the scene and the pop culture scene around that movie with Jason Statham so I think he can do the same thing in 2022 the question is is he going to have to share that publicity with another film that's going to be coming out from Lucasfilm and it's not a Star Wars film it's actually the next installment in the Indiana Jones franchise with Harrison Ford returning so does that mean that Disney will have to move Indiana Jones once again for what seems like the 100th million time they're going to have to do it or will they stick to their guns and battle it out with DC and Warner Brothers on that date so it'll be very very interesting to see how that all plays out but I think after what's going to become kind of a quiet 2021 for DC even though they're going to have two big films in what we already have right now with Zack Snyder's Justice League which for the last few weeks has been really big for HBO Max it seems like for at least the buzz that we've been hearing about and and the people's reactions on social media but also James Gunn's DC's The Suicide Squad coming out in August which had its first trailer official trailer come out on Friday. So those are the two big films, but DC is going to have a full year with their film slate next year. And it all starts off with the Batman kicking it off on March 4th as of right now. Then you have Black Adam on July 29th. And then you have The Flash with Ezra Miller moving to November 4th, which will go up against Mission Impossible 8. And then, of course, Aquaman 2, the sequel to the hit Aquaman film, as of right now, will be going up against Avatar 2 on December 16th. So maybe some of those films move. And some of those other films will blink. Maybe DC will blink and Warner Bros. will blink and move those films depending on how principal photography goes. The Flash is going to hit up the, the uh, initial photography in the next few weeks. And Aquaman 2, I think they're still in pre-production as of right now. So that's still a little bit ways off before we get any concrete details on that film. But at least we get solidified right now maybe at least three films, possibly four if, if it works with Aquaman. So... It's going to be a big year for DC, and I think it's going to showcase what the future 
of the DC universe is really going to be because that DC fandom we heard from Walter Hamada, we heard from him over the last few months, really, when talking after Wonder Woman 1984 and, and starting off talking after Zack Snyder's Justice League and what they want DC films to be like in the future where you're incorporating the multiverse concept and, and these different characters and iterations of these heroes. Of course, with the Batman, Robert Pattinson's Batman being in a different universe altogether and not within the Earth that we know Ben Affleck's Batman to be in. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. And of course, having a new anti-hero in, in Black Adam and then seeing how all the DC Universe changes after The Flash and, and how that'll happen after future films as well. So I think there's a, I think 2022 is going to be a very important year for DC films and the future direction that they really want to take with their films and showcasing the plans that Walter Hamada has with this film group after kind of the the crazy era that they had before Wonder Woman or really before Aquaman and Shazam and Joker were very successful. It, it, the, the, the era before with, with Justice League and Batman v Superman, if they don't want to have that happen again, again, it's going to be very interesting to see the solidified plans they have in place with their next few films specifically in 2022. So I'm very interested to see how that all is going to play out. But what do you guys think about Black Adam, first of all, hitting July 29th, 2022? And which film are you looking forward to? If all four films in DC stay in 2022, which one are you very much looking forward to? Is it The Batman on March 4th? Is it Black Adam on July 29th? Is it The Flash on November 4th? Or is it Aquaman 2 on December 16th? I would really like to know what you guys think. I'll probably have a Twitter poll on which one you guys are very much looking forward to. Me personally, I've said it since DC Fandom, and I'm going to continue to say it until it finally arrives. It would have been my most anticipated of this year if it came out in normal circumstances. But of course, the Batman is the one I'm looking forward to. That trailer from DC Fandom was badass. I've been looking forward to this film, mainly because, again, Matt Reeves is behind the camera. And after the panel that he gave at DC Fandom last August, and his it seems like the knowledge that he has on Batman, the universe that he wants to create, I'm really excited to see what that little corner pocket of the multiverse of his own Batman universe that he has ready to go in the next few years to come and having it all start hopefully on March 4th of next year. But Black Adam, again, I'm really looking forward to it. Again, the fact that Dwayne Johnson joining its superhero franchise, comic book franchise is incredible. And I've been hearing about this film for years, literally guys, years and years and years. And finally for it, A, to have a release date and B, to actually be going into production in the next few weeks is really, really exciting to have. It seems like a great cast. Uh, it's hopefully a really good story involved. I think the fact that, that The Rock and this director who worked together on on Jungle Cruise last year, have chemistry, they know one another, I think will really go a long way to making sure that this is a smooth production and really deliver something special that we'll see hopefully on July 29th of 2022 next year. So again, which one are you guys looking forward to? Are you excited about the release date for Black Adam? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about is transitioning over from the DCEU all the way over to Disney+, Plus, specifically talking about the Star Wars universe. And today we got major news on the front of one particular show that I think many people are looking forward to, including myself, in which I hold this one to be the most anticipated title in Star Wars, in the Star Wars lineup that they have going on right now. And that, of course, is the Obi-Wan Kenobi show that they have coming up. And it seems like the official title will be Star Wars Obi-Wan 
Kenobi. And while the first thing that they did announce was that production will finally begin in April, potentially shooting in Los Angeles on that stagecraft technology, the same thing that The Mandalorian went through and is going through right now. And of course, Deborah Chow, who's the director now of the Obi-Wan show, is knows that technology after working on the first season of Mando in 2018, 2019. So to, to see probably her using that stagecraft technology is no surprise whatsoever. But the fact that we're finally seeing this thing getting into production in the next few weeks is exciting as well but the biggest announcement the biggest news to come out of all this of course is the cast and we already really knew two of the major cast members that were coming in this show the first one of course is Ewan McGregor returning reprising his role from the prequel trilogy portraying a younger Obi-Wan Kenobi in which this show will be taking place 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith so he's already kind of in his exile on Tatooine looking over a young Luke Skywalker and we're going to see more of those adventures and see what else he was up to before we see him as an older wiser Ben Kenobi in Star Wars A New Hope and then of course we learned at the Disney Investor Day in December in a really big I think surprising announcement of news that Hayden Christensen will be reprising his role as Anakin Skywalker aka Darth Vader from the prequel trilogy reuniting reuniting those two both Ewan and Hayden back once again together to kind of continue and maybe finish what they started in the prequel trilogy but then after that we really had no idea who else was going to be a part of this show and we got that announcement today and I think it surprised a lot of people just how many A-listers are on this cast and just to kind of begin right away some of the major announcements that come along with this cast along with reuniting with with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen from reprising their roles in the prequel trilogy will be both Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Pessy reprising their roles as a very young Owen Lars and Aunt Peru from the Star Wars canon. And they were played by, I forget the names of the actors from Star Wars A New Hope, but they were played by Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Pesey in both Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones and, of course, in that final scene in Star Wars Episode Three, where Obi-Wan hands Luke over to them and you see them gazing over at the twin sunsets. So we're going to kind of see more of their story, maybe questions of a young Luke maybe being involved in this show, potentially, I think, brings up a lot of theories for what we could see with the Skywalkers in this show, not just with Darth Vader. And then we got the announcement that Moses Ingram will be in this show as well. For many people who might not know the name, if you watched The Queen's Gambit, she played the best friend to to Beth. So if you know that character, she was the best friend to Beth in the orphanage and was seen in the last episode as well so she's going to be in the show as well and again other than than Ewan Hayden Joel and Bonnie we don't really know who else a lot of these characters are playing so a lot of it is still up in the air for who knew what new characters these actor and actresses will be portraying in Obi-Wan Kenobi but along with Moses Ingram I think another big shocking announcement that nobody saw coming there was no rumors about it no nothing is Kumail Nanjiani will be going over from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the Star Wars Universe in Obi-Wan Kenobi and really officially integrating himself into the Disney family now that he's a part of the two biggest franchises that Disney owns and two of the biggest franchises period so I'm really excited to see what Kumail Nanjiani does in this he's a great actor 
so I'm really excited to see what he does in this film. The one rumored, the, the only really rumored actress that was linked to this show was Indri of Rima, who was in Game of Thrones. She was like the mother to, to the Snake Sisters in, in Game of Thrones. She also is going to appear in the brand new Mission Impossible sequel, so I'm excited to see what role she plays. And then we also have Rupert Friend, for if you know his role in Homeland or in a lot more of kind of like the, the geek culture. He was also Hitman Agent 47 a few years ago, so that's somebody who I'm really excited to see. He's a really good actor. He's been in a, on a really a lot of good things, so that one I'm very excited about. Also, little little Q, O'Shea Jackson Jr. is going to be making another dabble in big franchises after being in films such as, of course, Straight Outta Compton playing his father and being in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and now it seems like he's taking a little dive into the Star Wars universe, so I'm very excited for him. And then another actor making one major move from one franchise over to the another is Sung Kang, the actor who plays Han in the Fast and Furious franchise, will be moving from the family of Don Toretto to a galaxy far, far away, so that'll be very exciting to see. Then you have Simone Kessel, who I don't really know a whole lot about, but I, I'm excited, of course, to see brand new blood in this franchise that I don't, don't know a whole lot about and see to see their talent portrayed on screen as well. And then another great, I think to me this was the most surprising. Kumail Nanjiani was surprising, but this is also one that is completely out of left field. I wouldn't even think about it in terms of also being in front of the camera, but the one of the one half of the Safdie brothers, Benny Safdie, will be acting in front of the camera in Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I'm very, very excited to see what kind of role Benny Safdie plays. And then just kind of overall, I just think looking at this cast, this is this is one hell of a cast. And you look at the diversity of it. And of course, it is extremely diverse. And in, in the Star Wars universe, you can have that diversity. You want that diversity. You want diversity in all franchises. But again, Star Wars is made up of different aliens, different races. It, diversity is made for Star Wars. So to see that, it, that's great. Absolutely. But it's also just the fact that it's just talented actors, period. I mean, again, looking at somebody like Kumail Nanjiani, you look at Ocean. Shay Jackson Jr., who's really kind of built his rapport, his his skills as an actor throughout the last few years. I'm very excited to see what he does. Sung Kang, I'm a big fan of his work as Han in the Fast and Furious franchise, so to see him in, in this is going to be exciting. So I'm really looking forward to this. Moses Ingram, I liked her work in The Queen's Gambit in the episode she'd, uh, she appeared in. So all that I'm looking forward to. Joel Edgerton and Bonnie PC coming into this their 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 roles once again as Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. It is going to be exciting to kind of see where that storyline goes from here. So this is probably really the best Star Wars cast I've seen in their television shows. I mean, on paper, when you look at it, I think when you see the Mandalorian cast, I mean, sure. We have Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano before she was fired, and Carl Weathers and John Carlo Esposito. That's a great cast, and it's it's only a short cast really when you look at it. And then it has a lot of supporting guest starring appearances such as Rosario Dawson and, of course, Katie Sackhoff and, 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 a, and a lot of others as well. But when you just look on paper on the kind of casting sheet that these Star Wars shows have appeared in so far, this is hands down the best one that I've really seen. I mean, it's just full of really true A-listers in this industry. I mean, 
Hayden Christensen isn't an A-lister in the industry, but in Star Wars fans' minds, he is somebody that a lot of people know. Ewan McGregor is a big star. Kumail Nanjiani is the same way. Joel Edgerton, O'Shea Jackson is on the rise, and especially with his links with his father, Ice Cube. I mean, he's this is really a great cast. And of course, to me, the one that I'm really looking forward to, as much as I love Kumail Nanjiani, to me, it's Benny Safdie. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the hell Benny Safdie is going to do in whatever role he's going to play. And I was talking to my friend about this, and I agree with it 100% where I hope Benny Safdie isn't A, a droid, or voice doing a VO of a droid, or, or just doing mocap, or also B, being an alien where he's in prosthetics and makeup. I really... I truly want to see Benny Safdie act, and I want to see him emote, and I want to see his emotions. I really want to see him perform because he he hasn't been in a lot of things, but the things that he's been in, specifically Good Times, which he directed with his brother, with Robert Pattinson, even though he was in it for a limited amount of screen time, he was effective, and I believed him in his role. He wasn't like it was just there to be there, so I'm really excited to see him actually act, and my friend and I were also joking the fact that let's make Benny Safdie be a long lost Jedi that Obi-Wan finds throughout his time on this show. I That would be awesome to see Benny Safdie wielding a lightsaber. That would be cool to see. But overall, though, I just think for me, Benny Safdie is somebody to really look forward to. And also, again, there's no rumors about this. There, this, probably, this might not happen. This might happen. But the fact that Benny Safdie is getting in front of the camera, maybe he loves his Star Wars experience so much that maybe... He and his brother, the Safdie brothers, take their talents to a galaxy far, far away down the line. Whether it is a television show or maybe they do a, a movie as well down the line. Maybe it's not one of these three movies. Well, the third movie in the films that are coming out this decade. But maybe something else down the line comes up that they really want to work on. So uh, I think, again, it, it leaves a lot of great doors open for the future. But again, just initially his name and, and a lot of others on this cast I am very looking forward to it and again if this wasn't my most anticipated Star Wars show or really Star Wars property period that I'm looking forward to right now and that includes Mandalorian as much as I love that show and I'm looking forward to season 3 I'm looking forward to the book of Boba Fett I've been looking forward to Obi-Wan for a long long time before it was even a show when it was a movie I was always looking forward to seeing more Ewan McGregor because again like myself and many other Star Wars fans realize is that even though there was a lot of things that were awful in the prequel trilogy and there were some really good things, the strongest aspect that people, I think, always put number one on their list is Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi and that they've always wanted more of him. He's always wanted to come back and it's finally worked out and I love the fact that it's no longer a movie. I love that it's a show because I think to tell the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi just in two hours might not really be enough and that maybe we get five or six, maybe even seven episodes of this character once again in this universe and seeing kind of his mindset after Revenge of the Sith in which they kind of talk about in the press release of being disturbed by the events that happened in Revenge of the Sith, facing his his Padawan, his friend, his comrade, and in his turns to the dark side and mo- on Mostafar. So, and leaving him for dead and and burned. Really, I, I think that's going to affect Obi Wan. So to see that play out is going to be great to see. And seeing somebody who was a prominent Jedi figure and kind of seeing what he does with the Jedi, really no more, and him kind of being one of the last prominent Jedi. 
I think it's going to be great to explore and to really see that in multiple episodes. And it sounds like this is going to be a one-time thing. Disney and Star Wars, Kathleen Kennedy, they labeled this as an event. And during the press release, if you go on Twitter, it says an event. An event. So it seems like this is just going to be like a mini-series, kind of like what the Falcon and Winter Soldier is doing right now. So whatever it is, I'm excited for it. And I cannot wait to see what they do with this show. What do you guys think about Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, the cast that is a part of it, and the whole nine yards? Let me know what you think. Which which cast member do you think is your favorite of the casting, Even no matter who they're going to play? Even the ones that we know are going to be reprising roles from past Star Wars installments. Who are you very most looking to seeing that is coming back, or who's going to be new to the franchise, like a Benny Safdie or a Kumail Nanjiani or a Rupert Friend or O'Shea Jackson Jr.? Let me know who you're very much looking forward to and leave your thoughts below. I'd love to know what you guys think. And that'll do it for the news portion of things on the Sam Bissell podcast. And the final thing that I do want to discuss on the podcast, though, is my review of Godzilla, the film from 2014, as this is going to be the official countdown for Godzilla versus Kong. And there are three films in this interconnected universe that started in 2014 with Godzilla and continued for two more films in Kong Skull Island and Godzilla King of the Monsters before we get to Wednesday's release of, of Godzilla versus Kong. So last night I kind of started my little mini movie marathon of this monster verse and Godzilla to the 2014 film was directed by Gareth Edwards who went on to direct Rogue One a Star Wars story because of the sex success of this film it also starred Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen before they were in the Avengers films and also stars Ken Watanabe and of course this is the first film in the monster monster verse and in order for us to get to this point of having Godzilla versus Kong this one needed to be successful and for the most part it really was a big success for the most part It, it didn't make billions of dollars, but it made around $600 million at the box office to be considered a really big hit at the time period. And also, it is actually a really good film. I think overall, the story of it is actually really good. The, the kind of the, the the introduction of Godzilla, but the fact that he's really kind of this protagonist who's fighting these mutos is really great to see. The, the action is really good, and I, and I think the, the direction of the film is good. The story is really good. The, the characters, for the most part, are interesting. The one thing that I will say, and it is the big criticism that they fixed a little bit, and that they fixed a lot in the, especially Godzilla King of the Monsters, but I think the thing that they kind of let go of in from this film is that there was, I think, a really good story behind it. However, and some interesting characters that I think were lost in those other films, and the thing that was lost in this film that was gained in the other films was more monster action. Because the thing with this film is the fact that whenever we get this big, big, epic clash that we're going to get with Godzilla, it kind of cuts right away to other parts that kind of get us back to the human characters. And I think for the most part, out of all the films, these, well, I have to watch Kong Skull Island because I like those characters, but I think this would either be the first or second most interesting characters that we've seen that I really wanted to follow. And of course, with this film, Aaron Taylor Johnson was good. I liked him more this time watching him than I think I did in previous installments. Elizabeth Olsen, I didn't realize, but she really doesn't have a whole lot to do in this film. So as much as she is a great actress and 
and we now know that after seeing her in a lot of MCU installments like the Avengers films and of course just seeing her kind of really I think stample herself as a major star player with WandaVision she didn't really have a whole lot to do in this film and the ones that I think really stand out for me to being really good in terms of performances is Ken Watanabe and Brian Cranston who I think a lot of people thought that maybe we get a lot of Brian Cranston in this film because in 2014 he was still on that Breaking Bad high, people loved him. He, he's still a great actor, but his name was very much high valued and high profile during that time period in 2014. So I think a lot of people were looking for him to be kind of the main star of this film, but that those duties went to Aaron Taylor Johnson. And again, he was okay for the most part, but I, I think the action, some of the more high suspense moments were done really well by Gareth Edwards. It's just really the fact that, and I don't really blame this on him as much as I do the writing, and the fact that in the script, I'm sure they said, and we have this big battle and they're leading towards it. They're leading towards it. And we cut away in exterior next day after the big battle, buildings clash and you see the wreckage indicating that Godzilla and the Mutos were, had a huge clash. So I don't blame that so much on Gareth Edwards. I thought he built it up really, really well and the direction was done really well. It's just the writing on that fact was not done well and really kind of showcasing a lot of these battles happen or if they do happen, you see them on a TV screen or, or you see them happen the next day on the news. You just don't see it happen until the final battle at San Francisco, which is badass and is awesome. And again, I think kind of softens the criticism a little bit in the fact that you get this awesome action sequence at the end with Godzilla, but you really, I think, wanted to see a whole lot more of it with the those awesome battle action sequences that were kind of cut at, at in between in the middle of the movie. But I think overall, I think it's between this and I gotta watch Godzilla versus uh, not Godzilla versus Kong, but I gotta watch Kong Skull Island tonight. It's between this this one or that film of which one's my favorite so far. Because to me, the least favorite one, and I already know it, and I don't think it'll change my mind, is Godzilla: King of the Monsters. But I really do like the first two installments, and I really did like Godzilla. And I just think it reaffirmed that last night watching. Even though I did have criticism with some of the acting and and again the cutaways from the monsters, I do think the story is the most interesting aspect of this film out of all the monster the monsterverse films so far so again i'm very much looking forward to watching kong's clown tonight i'll have my review for that tomorrow along with my weekend preview of the film so uh for uh excuse me godzilla versus kong so again this is very much a monsterverse week this weekend and and, and i and i started it last night i'm going to continue it tonight with kong skull island i'll have my review out for that tomorrow on the sam basel podcast so again there's a lot to look forward to this week there's gonna be more news so a lot a lot a lot to look forward to but until then that will do it for this edition of the sam basel podcast once again everybody thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals, gear Jordan improving client relations, return on in business, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. 
Also, when you get a chance, make sure to check me out on social media on Twitter. You can find me at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-C-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Also, you can find me on my YouTube channel at the Sam Bissell Podcast. So, once again, everybody, thank you again so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening. <laughs>